Hello and welcome to Explorations on Feminist Leadership by One Future Fellows 2021, a podcast by the 2021 cohort of the One Future Fellows, where we discuss, examine, and learn about all things feminist leadership. Nazil Danish and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, um, I'm Shifali Gupta and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Fanny Samia. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. It is so lovely to be here with you. This podcast would deal with the concepts of identity and leadership and the relationship between the two. Today's conversation will be covering the importance of having conversations about the relationship between identity and leadership. We will delve into the intricacies of this set relationship in view of today's uh, socio-political scenario. We hope to also discuss some possible and tangible ways of imagining the future for identity leadership. How about we begin this conversation by introducing our speakers? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Shifali. I recently graduated with a degree in economics and I live in Poch. Uh, currently, I'm working with local governments with an organization and my favorite ice cream flavor is strawberry because I think everybody needs to know that. Hi, everyone. I'm Farnisri Saumya. I did my master's in anthropology from University of Hyderabad. Um, I did the Urban Fellows Program from Indian Institute for Human Settlements. And I'm from Hyderabad, and I'm a connoisseur of ceramic coffee mugs. Yeah, that's about me. Hi, I am Nazil Danish from uh, Islamabad, Pakistan, and I have recently completed my undergraduate degree in public administration with a a special focus on um, public policy and government. And uh, I am currently working as a creative strategist at an advertising company. And if you watch Pakistani TV, you will probably see a couple of ads that I've pitched. Great. So now that we've gotten to know everybody, how about we kind of start with how we see identity and how we perceive leadership? Because I think it's such a dynamic concept and everybody has their own understanding of it. So for example, for me, identity is what we see or would like to see ourselves as, um, how we see ourselves in our actions and in our thoughts. So if I say that I want to be kind, I would form that as a part of my identity by making an extra effort to practice acts of kindness. Or if I say I'd like to become an observer instead of uh, a talker, I would um, shift my viewpoints of thinking and behaving that way. So I think identity for me is a way of being, of lifestyle, or it's a pursuit of a goal. On the other hand, leadership for me isn't about someone standing on a pedestal. It's about uh, someone who's able to organize people instead of ordering them about, to kind of give them a direction for a common goal, and how they do that in creative ways that are empathetic, that help people to be themselves and work towards a common cause is how I see leadership. When I think of identity, actually, it it resonates um, a lot with 
what you just said. I I believe identity uh, to be any way to express yourself. You know, like or in simple words, individuality. For me uh, personally, every time I hear the word identity, the first idea that I get is that of gender identity. And whether one perceives oneself to be a man, a woman, gender binary. Gender identity in nearly all instances is then self-identified, right? Um, as a result of a combination of inherent and extrinsic or environmental factors. So ultimately, it's a personal conception. Um, gender identity can be affected by, let's say, social structures which includes that person's ethnic group or employment status or religion or lack of religious beliefs and even family. So it's very, very dynamic when you think about it. Um, on the other hand, leadership. Um, I believe leadership to be a measure of effectiveness of a leader, right? And how that is determined by that leader's capacity to represent a given group, uh, to help that group go forward and create a group identity and to make the group matter. How about you? So um, I think I diverge a little from uh, what Shafali talked about identity and my perception is closer to what you spoke about identity, Nazil. So I completely agree mm -hmm. with the fact that it is very dynamic, but I also think that identity is multi-layered. It is very, very relational and it is um, simultaneous. So by relational, I mean that um, our identities are constantly being shaped by who we are talking to, who we are dealing with, the, our environment around us and um, all of these different identities that we have, some of them get foregrounded in some uh, aspects in during certain situations and certain um, identities take the backseat. So in this way, it is definitely dynamic and very relational. Um, when, it, when, when it comes to leadership, I uh, definitely um, sort of uh, believe that uh, leadership it's a continuous process and a cyclic one at that uh, of, of learning from the community that you're dealing with, learning from them, engaging with them, acting on the problems that uh, the communities face. And um, at the end of the day, you reflect on the entire process and then you go back to learning, right? So in, the, in that way, it is a cyclic uh, process of learning engaging, acting, and reflecting. But um, I completely agree with Shefali's point of a leader who is uh, organizing and not ordering people. So uh, yeah, that, that is what I believe about identity and leadership. But at this point, I feel it would be important for us to sort of also look at the relationship between the two, as in um, what the two uh, concepts of identity and uh, leadership would look like in relation to each other and uh, also sort of speak about the importance of you know um, acknowledging this relationship so um, what do you feel about the relationship of these two I think it's very interesting how the three of us have such um, different yet similar understandings on both the topics 
in terms of the relationship, I'd like to start with how there has been a recent shift in the mold of a leader as how traditional roles and identities of leaders have been breaking down over the last few years. How in the past for a leader to be quote unquote socially accepted, they had to fall into categories of charming, visionary, they had to be outspoken, bold, and like have a no bullshit attitude, which meant that they wanted to get things done their way. That sort of set out an identity for an acceptable leader. You'll also note that most of these traits are also considered traditionally masculine, which ties into, I think, why for centuries there's been a cis male domination in roles of leadership um, across all areas of work. I think everyone will be surprised to know that globally, out of all the CEOs that exist, only 5% are women. And this is even with wow. the better performance results that yeah this is even with the better performance results that they have and they're more creative they're better at handling people but still the number of women CEOs in the world are far behind the numbers that men have so I think uh, for the world to uh, establish diverse identities for leaders we're still struggling now to come to a governance level um, I'll speak about local governance where in India, even with nearly 50% leadership being reserved for elected women, there's only a few cases where women themselves end up participating in the act of government, which means that they sit with people, they move out of their houses, and they engage with bureaucracy and policy implementation. Uh, male family members have started to do this instead, which is a proxy uh, representation, and it's only feeding into this vicious cycle of patriarchy and I think it's never letting the identity attached to say um, a president ever changing from an upper classist man so the idea that something has to be a man's job something like for example a physical development that we say uh, which is building of roads lights all of that is sort of socially been assigned to men where women leaders are supposed to focus on um household and menial development, which is scheme beneficiary guarantees, awareness, um, the issue of safety, wherein the issue of safety actually ends up affecting all of us. It's a societal issue, but this has made the agenda that leaders bring up uh, also gender. So by fixing identities for certain roles in leadership, you're also fixing identities to the impact that those leaders have. So the needs and issues of each kind of leader never gets brought forward. Uh, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. And as I'm listening to you, um, two things come to my mind. The first is the idea of uh, privilege, which is inherently attached to um, identity, right? So certain identities have had privilege uh, and they have had these positions of privilege historically, which have given them the access to positions of leadership. Like you said, cisgendered males um, dominate leadership positions globally because cisgendered males have had social privileges uh, and also the notions of gender roles of men being uh, breadwinners, right? So when you think of it that way, um, it's very important that we acknowledge 
the idea of privilege uh, in uh, leadership roles so when we do that we can sort of realize that when there are people who hail from privileged backgrounds in leadership roles it becomes very easy for them to sort of unsee to sort of erase the experiences of those from marginalized communities and here i bring in my second point that of representation which is also sort of like goes back to what shivani was saying so when there are people from marginalized communities who stand up who take up positions of leadership then they sort of bring in through their perspectives through their ideas through their lived experiences the problems at the ground level of the uh, marginalized communities they know what much people from marginalized communities face on a day to day basis um now for example the most um obvious example here is the that of dr ambedkar another example is that of uh, jyoti rao phule um dr ambedkar was very much against the caste system and through his work he sort of uh, talked about uh, ways in which uh, caste can be dismantled and on the other hand you have jyoti rao phule who championed women's education and because these people were able to do it because they knew with the ground level realities that dalits face that dalit women face so it is very important for us to acknowledge that representation in positions of leadership matters a lot and it's one of the ways in which we can imagine change how how would you go about it nazar wow that is so much to you know taken as well it took me a second to really wrap my head around all of that information to just it's just so um unfortunate of course to um see that gender roles have been so strictly embedded in all of us right and which ultimately obviously leads to gender inequality too and when we like that thing you talked about privilege i i totally agree and privilege can be so multivariable it's not just uh in terms of uh how much money you have right like it's your societal status it's your ethnicity as well or um especially when it comes to um the caste systems so privilege and the way it manifests itself it ultimately leads to gender inequality not being just a moral or a social issue but also a critical economic challenge and in this conversation right like um the data that we have is very uh, strictly to the gender binary because there's a lack of data or statistics on um the non binary for example Definitely. women make up half the world's population right but generate 37% of global gdp which ultimately reflects that women do not have equal access to labor markets opportunities and even rights now think about that and take into account the case of the non binary that's not something you know it doesn't even make it to the mainstream media let alone to policy agenda so as a social construct gender varies from society to society and it can change over time it's very important to note that because that's what 
ultimately leads to gender being hierarchical and producing inequalities that intersect with other social and economic inequalities. Uh, Gender-based discrimination, let's say, intersects with factors of discrimination, right? Uh, And this is fear of influence keeps expanding because uh, then you take into account ethnicity, uh, socioeconomic status, disability, age, gender identity, and sexual orientation, among other things. And we call this intersectionality. So that is where identity leadership comes in. When you're an identity leader, you're not putting forth your own interests, but you're representing the interests of a larger community, right? Because you know what it's like to be marginalized and unheard. So an identity leader increases the commitment among their own followers by increasing their perception of shared identity and giving more weight to them in the decision-making processes. I found that concept very fascinating, uh, the way gender-based discrimination intersects with, you know, other factors of discrimination. But when we talk about that, right, we're painting a bigger picture. So I would like to uh, further the conversation by um, asking how exactly you think that we can work on this change it's so deeply rooted in the system, right? Society itself, so what's the ideal way to look forward? What's the way ahead? Being an anthropologist, I think that the idea of change is deeply rooted in our culture and our cultural beliefs. So for this to happen, I think that primary socialization will be the way forward in the sense that family uh, should talk to their children more openly about the intricacies of identity, about the intricacies of privilege. And we can also think of it in terms of the uh, education system in the sense that uh, the curriculum that students are taught in school needs to be sensitive to the complexities of identity and how children learn about leadership positions uh, with respect to identity. And also other ways could be through um, children's stories, through the media that they consume, be it cartoons or any other kind of media that uh, is appropriate to children. So uh, that's the way I think about it. So how you kind of talked about a change in mindsets and the thought processes and how we think of leadership and identity changing from a very young age. I think we can build on what uh, Nazil said towards the end where we talked about how community-wise leaders end up catering to a wider range of issues because they are themselves a part of that community. And I completely agree that they would end up empathizing much, much more strongly. But the issue is that there isn't any space for these leaders at all, especially when they start from the bottom up. So if there was space created for these leaders to kind of emerge with their communities, uh, issues and thought processes, mobilizing would uh, be more impactful. And there's a lesser chance of a dilution of agendas than say if you and I were going to bring those issues forward because motivation in the long run, because the process takes so much time would vary. But for someone who's been through that, who can empathize deeply, the agenda is much less likely to be diluted. I think this also really 
would end up making space for leadership to emerge without a prerequisite identity of the, an advantage financial background, class and knowledge, because we all know that, especially in terms of politics, uh, you need to have a certain financial background because you end up running for elections and that's a money game nowadays. And you end up thinking about class and how it represents the community that you're standing for and just the general knowledge you have on political systems. So I think if we kind of combine the two things that we've said till now, you can really separate this prerequisite uh, identity of leader from the actual identity that we are wanting to represent. Nazil, what do you have to say? All of that is just so insightful, but I think I have more of a policy perspective on this uh, since you uh, have addressed most of you know the societal aspects of it already. I believe that uh, mobilizing and directing followers energies, these leaders need not only be one of us, but they also have to do it for us, right? That's identity advancement. And that is done in order to create or craft a sense of us and ultimately to embed a sense of us. So bridging this disparity in participation uh, with respect to men is the first most priority, right? Like at all levels with a special focus on political participation. This can ultimately lead to integrated approach to policy making such that mainstream policy is developed coextensively with gender specific policy and vice versa. So things like this ultimately lead to active and unequivocal support for the advancement of gender equality and marginalized groups' interests in policymaking. And to do so, we have to involve uh, senior figures, both in elected and appointed positions. Um, another way would be ensuring participation by community-based feminist advocacy groups throughout this whole process and engagement through out of gender equity and feminist policy machinery in both generic and gender specific uh, policy processes. It's so important that there has to be an adoption of feminist understandings of the problem, right, of gender inequality, and to have that be acceptable conceptual currency in the formulation of policy, whether it's mainstream or gender specific. So I believe and I advocate for a top-down approach as well, as much as we need that bottoms-up approach. Yes, uh, definitely. Uh, a top-down approach and a bottoms-up approach as well as being sensitive to cultural beliefs all go hand in hand. And we need to sort of um, put all of the, you know, envision all of them together to create uh, the change that we want to see. So... In our conversations, just to sort of um, wrap up, we started talking about identity, we started talking about our perspectives on leadership, and then went on to speak about the relationship between the two and the importance of why we need to sort of talk about these two concepts together. And we spoke about a variety of things, about gender inequality, about the problem of number of women in leadership positions and the ideas of representation and privilege, uh, which then led us to talk about our ideas of how to bring in change, right? 
So wow, I mean that's a lot of things that we spoke about, guys. Congratulations! Absolutely, and it has been so insightful. Yeah, it was a great place for all of us to learn, and I think the way we all put our perspectives out there. I'll definitely get into deeper conversations with each of you about all of these things. Definitely, absolutely. So, I would love that. We want to thank our listeners for joining us and listening today. We really appreciate your support. If you like this episode, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at One Future Collective and on Twitter at One Future Collective underscore India. And keep an eye out for future episodes of Explorations of Feminist Leadership by One Future Fellows 2021. Please leave your questions, comments, or feedback on Anchor or in our DMs. We look forward to hearing your thoughts. Until next time, take care of yourself, and we hope we can explore more together. Thanks and bye-bye. bye bye. Bye.